And welcome to episode 34 of the Retrospectus Podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Turlings. James, I've got a bone to pick with you. Yeah. I believe you led me to believe that Sly Cooper was a stealth platformer. And what I got was something that was very, very, very light on stealth and uh, much, much more of a platformer than I was expecting. Uh, If I remember correctly, I said, Patrick, we're playing Sly Cooper. And then like five minutes later, you said, ooh, a stealth game. And I did not respond. So uh, I think this is entirely on you there, buddy. I believe you didn't correct me, which which is how (laughs) I put it. Because I think that if you look at the advertising and you look at the sort of style of game it's purporting to be, it did trick me into thinking it was a stealth game. But uh, it is a stealth game. It really isn't. There's lots of sneaking, but uh, I guess we'll get into that, won't we? We will, we will, we will. Um, This uh, fortnight, we're, we're of course covering Sly Cooper, uh, one of the big three PS2 platformers alongside Ratchet and Clank. And what was the other one, James? Jack and Daxter. These are my personal preferences, yes. (laughs) Yeah, see, these games, I never played any of them. Um, I wasn't really into these 3D platformers. I didn't have a PS2 back in 2002. And Sly Cooper is one that I'd never even really heard of. Although, James, you said that you you had heard of it but had never played it. Um, I'd actually played the third game in the series a little bit when I rented it, back when renting games was still a thing from good old Blockbuster, but I had <laughs> never actually played the first one before. So um, this game is made by Sucker Punch Productions, who are probably most famous for their superhero murder up Infamous. Uh, that's a game that I definitely played. There's a few sequels to it. Um, most interestingly, they're also the ones behind Ghost of Tsushima. Um, we don't know much about that, but we did see the e three demo of that uh the one with it had a demo for last of us too as well and it looked sick although you know it's hard to imagine it'll be better than sekiro we are of course the retrospectors podcast uh each and every fortnight james and i play through a classic game from start to finish and then we have this show and we have an extensive extensive discussion slash review of it um the main twist of this show is that we're not really interested in understanding how good these games were in the time in which they were produced, we want to know if they are classics that have truly stood the test of time. We want to know how fun they are to play today. So before we get into our discussion on whether Sly Cooper is worth your time to play this weekend while in quarantine, there's just a couple of um, housekeeping things to go over. Firstly, the version that we played on, we played on the PS2 emulated version. Um, You can, of course, play with a hard copy, but uh, neither of us have a PS2, so we just emulated it. There was also a... uh, a collection called the Sly Collection, which includes the first three Sly games, and that released for PS3 in 2011. We had some issues with the uh, emulator, though, and we eventually decided to go with the PS2 version. Just a quick note about the PS3 version. The PS3 version has widescreen support and a much improved resolution for the game and some nicer colouring. However, there is a very notable bug um, with one of the boss fights in the PS3 version of the game. Um, One of the boss fights in Sly Thievius Raccoonus is actually like a rhythm game, um, you know, timing some button presses to some music. 
and the audio and the button presses are actually completely desynchronized in the PS3 version, making it much harder and less intuitive to get through, but otherwise as a whole I'd say it looks quite a bit better than the base game, so you know, it depends if you kind of value the graphics as a whole on the game or you want a more purist gameplay experience, because from what I tell it does ruin what is otherwise a fairly enjoyable boss fight. So um, we did have a bit of setup involved to get it running. Uh, apparently Sly Cooper is notorious for having issues on emulators, uh, but we found a YouTube video that basically shows you all the settings to get it running and um, it ran pretty well for me. Um, I don't know about you, James, but I did experience the occasional slowdown. Uh, particularly in the high graphic intensity areas when you're like looking a lot of scenery at once in some of the hub worlds. But I'd say most of the time it ran smoothly and quite fine. Yeah, I didn't really have any of those issues. The only thing that I would note is that on the emulated version, there was a bit of a, a blur effect going on over everything. It felt like, I don't know, maybe there was like a thin layer of Vaseline over everything. But other than that, I had no technical issues with the game. Yeah, I also had that blurry effect, but I just assumed that that's what the game kind of looked like. But then I looked at some HD versions and then the remastered version, and it really is night and day, the clarity difference you get. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, really just, I think the only reason to not play the PS3 version is if it's easier for you to get a PS2 copy or you really don't want that boss fight to be ruined so or um, you're having emulation issues because yeah. you know ps2 is a more stable emulator of course yeah absolutely yeah so um james i believe it is time for us to talk about sly cooper thievers let's Raccoonus. do it since you chose the game this fortnight i will ask you do you have anywhere you would like to begin to kick off this discussion, or I can just introduce the premise first, if you would prefer. I always prefer starting with the premise first. I think it gives our listeners a bit of, uh, you know, something to kind of stand on if they haven't played the game before. So let's start there. So as was normal for games released in this era, it is a very simple premise. You play as Sly Cooper, who is the last surviving member in a long and distinguished lineage of thieves. His father was a thief, his grandfather was a thief, and so on and so forth. So this family of thieves recorded all of their wonderful thieving techniques in a book called The Thievus Raccoonus. But when Sly Cooper was young, his uh, family was murdered, and The Thievus Raccoonus was stolen and kind of torn to shreds, and those pages were distributed amongst five evil henchmen. And uh, the point of the game is to retrieve all the pages of the Thievus Raccoonus, although it kind of changes to killing the bad guys along the way at some point. The game is divided into five distinct areas. Uh, each of those areas, except for the last one, has a hub world and seven levels attached to the hub world, including a, a mini level leading up to it. Of those seven levels, uh, you have about four platforming levels and then two to three gimmick stages with mini games and other twists on the basic platforming mechanics. And at the end of each hub world, there is a boss fight. So basically, Sly Cooper goes from place to place, stealing back the things that were stolen from him, killing the evil people who killed his family to take revenge and uh, become the thief he deserves to be. 
Yeah, so as Patrick said, you as Sly go around with your friends from your orphanage, Bentley and Murray, around to each of these evil thieves' dens in order to get back the pages. Um, one of the first things that struck out to me when we were playing this game was kind of the level structure of the game. I'd previously played Sly Cooper 3 before, which is a fairly open world game, um, more similar to some of the other 3D platformers I'd played in the past, whereas it was it kind of surprised me how much more similar to the original Crash Bandicoot games that Sly is in terms of structure. Um, you've got these little hub worlds that lead into some actually very linear levels, which were, you know, not quite what I was expecting when jumping into this game. I um, love the structure of this game. I am so sick of open worlds, James. I'm so sick of them. I'm sick of a million side quests populating a map. I love just these short and small and simple levels. It was, I much prefer it to stuff like Banjo-Kazooie, which gives you this big open world to explore in a million directions. Instead, it takes you five to 10 minutes to get through each and every one of these levels. And it's, to me, the superior way to do these platforming games. Yeah, it, it gives a much more structured and designed kind of feel because every single challenge, a platforming challenge in the game is, you know, very specifically designed to be, you know, take, uh, approached in a certain way by the player rather than, you know, kind of in Banjo-Kazooie where you can jump on any platform from any direction. It's It gives a much more structured feel that I'm quite a big fan of. Um, one of the things that also struck out to me about the level design is that Sly Cooper is a game that doesn't reuse assets very much at all. Um, I found that basically every single platforming stage was, you know, completely unique from one to another. And that kind of took me by surprise. I was expecting it to be a bit more maybe formulaic between each level, but I found that each level did a really good job of introducing something new as well. Uh, see, this is where it gets a little bit more confusing to me because I had a weird, I had a weird feeling about the uniqueness of each area because while i think that there's a lot of different assets and while i think that they do a pretty good job escalating the challenge of each individual level i don't i can't really remember individual platform sections super distinctly if that makes sense okay in in the same way that you know the prince of persia games prince of persia was very much a touch point for me, because that was one of the first PlayStation 2 3D platformers I played, it's difficult for me to remember specific platforming sections in that game, despite finishing Warrior within three or four times, right? But that doesn't mean that there isn't, I guess, uh, a well-crafted progression. It's just if you think of something like Banjo-Kazooie or Psychonauts, they have these set pieces and this sense of scale and grandeur that is lacking. And I think a big part of it is how zoomed in the camera is on your person. You can only see such a tiny chunk of the level at a time that it's hard for you to be able to perceive, I guess, the broader broader picture you know, that you're having. So I didn't find those individual levels that memorable because I, could, because I was only exposed to one one-hundredth of a level at a time. Okay, yeah, I guess that's fair. 
I think that um, overall the game does a fairly good job of being, I guess, cohesive. Um, it's trying to be a game that's themed around thieves and burglary and that kind of thing. And I think that a lot of the decisions in this game do a good job of kind of pointing into that direction. Like you said, you know, you're a thief, you're sneaking about, you're not this like all-powerful character, you know, just stomping about in a level. Um, I think the, like, the kind of, like, zoomed-in, you know, sneaky feeling that the camera has um, kind of adds to that aesthetic that they've got going on throughout the game and, you know, most aspects of it. But I didn't really feel like a thief in this game. I mean, sorry, that's not true. I felt like a thief, but I didn't feel like a thief, like, you know, the thief from the game Thief. I know I just said Thief a lot there, but bear with me. <laughs> Garrett in Thief is... Uh, he's vulnerable that that was the thing that was really interesting about that game you hid in the shadows not because you wanted to although i did want to but because you had to because if you get spotted by guards they're going to kill you slike is not a vulnerable person he kills all the enemies in one hit and he can do it very easily as well yes uh so i would say that you know, contrary to what you said, I think that that detracts from him having the appearance of a thief. I I really didn't get the idea that this was a stealth game and that you were, you know, that you were a thief hiding and skulking in the shadows. I got the feeling that you were an assassin slash thief. Okay, that's interesting because I did get that feeling. I don't, obviously this game is very different to something like Thief, um, but generally in the platforming levels, I feel like a good half of the platforming challenges is not being spotted by spotlights or tripping, you know, generic movie lasers that are supposed to stop thieves or that kind of thing. And I felt that, like, that sneaky approach where you're trying to avoid people with their flashlights and, you know, the floodlights from up in towers to be, you know, pretty indicative of being a sneaky thief. So the thing is, I'm not saying it has literally no stealth aspects. I'd just say that they're the lightest of stealth aspects. Because yeah. the thing about tripwires and avoiding traps is that that's just an aesthetic overlay for platforming challenges. Yeah, correct. Like there's, they may as well be moving spikes, right? It doesn't really matter. The, the point is it's more of a timing platforming challenge. Correct, yeah. The spotlight thing is definitely a stealth mechanic 100%. But whenever you're forced to avoid an enemy, it's more about finding the correct path because you can't obviously go through the spotlight, so you go the other way. Yeah. And it's a very linear thing. So... I'm not saying there are literally zero stealth elements here. I'm just saying it's the lightest touch that I've ever experienced in a video game in my life. Right, sure. I mean, I basically agree with you, right? This is first and foremost a 3D platformer mm -hmm. with a thievery coat of paint over it, correct? Yep, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, and to that end, I think it does a pretty good job of, you know, coating everything in this thiefy coat. Yeah, I mean, all I'm saying is that I don't believe it for a second. As a person who loves stealth games, this didn't really hit the stealth game vibes for me. You know, there's no sneak button, which is, there's no, there's barely any shadows. It does have the spotlights, but there's no hiding in shadows. I don't think, I, I just view it as a platformer. Um, and I think that's fine for what it is. Okay, sure. Um, let's go back to the level structure for a second and kind of mm -hmm. dissect what it is to go through one of these linear levels. Um, so generally, you're trying to get to the end um, of each level where there is a key 
um, you need seven keys to open the way to the boss. Um, and so there, you know, you're, you're super collectible. Like, think your stars and Mario, your jigsaw pieces from Banjo-Kazooie, that kind of thing, right? They're, they're your story progression um, that don't really reward you with anything else. Um, and then secondly, scattered throughout all the levels are two other kinds of collectibles. I think Sly does a good job of keeping the number of pickups to basically the absolute minimum, right? So you've got your generic coins that are all over that give you a, um, a little bonus when you get 100, which in this case is the ability to take a second hit without dying. Because um, Sly's pretty fragile. He's a, he's, a, he's a sneaky thief and he'll die in one hit normally. Um, and then second to that, you have your your, your treasure clue bottles, which there are about, you know, 20 to 40 of these in each level, give or take. Um, and acquiring them all will allow you to get the code to a hidden safe, which has a, like a little ability in it that you get added to your collection. So kind of structurally, the game will have you engaged in a multiple kind of ways, right? Like during each of the game's platforming challenges, there'll be lots of bottles scattered about in harder to reach places. And you'll basically go from, you know, progressing from bit to bit. And then between each platforming challenge, looking around for bottles and trying to grab as many as you can. Um, in general, I found this gameplay loop to be quite engaging. The game doesn't give you a whole lot of you know, dead space between platforming or searching for clues. So in general, I found Sly to be really good at keeping me, you know, entertained, even though I will admit it wasn't a very challenging game for the most part. James, this game has the worst collectible system I've ever experienced. I hate it. Really? I thought it was one of the best. <laughs> so basically, here's what happened to me, James. When I first started playing the game, I uh, got into a level. I'm like, okay, I'll get the collectibles. And then I got 29 out of 30 clues. And I'm like, oh, that kind of sucks, but I'm sure that counts for something. It counts for nothing. Of course it counts for nothing. If you don't get 30 out of 30 clues, you can't open the safe at all. And I would have been forced to backtrack through the entire level looking for this one clue that I missed. Correct. On the next level, I got 28 out of 30 clues, and I'm like, fuck this. And then I stopped picking up any clues for the rest of the game. Really? So, so the thing is, James, games like we did Psychonauts earlier, and what Psychonauts does, which is very intelligent and which is the far superior method, is that it doesn't say you need to get... 100 out of 100 figments on this level to unlock the next Psy Cadet rank. What it does is it's got a macro collection system. So I would have far preferred a system where you get clues and then you can spend those clues at a shop. So if I get 20 clues from here, 28 from here, and 30 from here, I can buy the move that costs 60 clues from a shop in between missions. That is the intelligent way to do it because if you say you must get every single clue on a mission, it completely discourages me from doing it because why am I going to bother if I miss one stupid clue, I get nothing. I strongly disagree with this. So I think the collection and the way it's handled in this game is one of the best I've seen ever. Um, so let me, let me give you an example why. So Patrick said before that if you miss a bottle, um, you are forced to backtrack the level, and he is very correct about that. Um, one thing that I really love about this game is the inclusion of these little speaker boxes that um, come after every single stealth section. And by stealth, I mean, you know, avoiding some spotlights or some laser wires. Um, and what these boxes are 
is that after you've correctly navigated between some searchlights, you can hit the box and all the lights will turn off. What this means effectively is that when you have to go back and backtrack because you've missed a bottle, because of course you have, you, you don't really have to do the whole level a second time because the level has become 80% easier because it's accepted that you've, you've cleared the challenges and doesn't expect you to do them again. The enemies don't respawn, the searchlights are turned off. So really walking from the start of one level, like from the start of the level, to the end of the level with everything disabled takes about like a minute at the most right whereas it took you like 10 minutes to get from the start to the end the first time through because you know you had to slowly tiptoe around these guards or you know do these platforming challenges or avoid the enemies which you've already killed um, and i found that really really good the second thing that i really like about the collectibles in this game is that they all give you a pretty sizable reward for collecting them, which is a new move effectively. Did you actually manage to get all of the bottles on any level, Patrick? Yeah, I, uh, hold on. Let me, let, let's slow it down. Let me address your first point. You know what's better than, back than having to backtrack quickly? Not backtracking at all. You yeah. don't make backtracking ever compulsory in any game ever. And it's so I never backtracked. And I had a far better experience because of it. I, I don't know why you're saying it's easy to backtrack, therefore it's okay. I think that it's better just to not have that as a problem. Well, it um, isn't a secondly, problem. Just get them all the first time you go through the level. Like, it's just a punishment for not doing it the first time, right? Like, most of the times I went through the level, I got all the bottles. It's a punishment, but it's one that led me to completely disengage from this mechanic because it said you have to get every single one. And to me, if it's optional, and I think it's ridiculous to get 100% of these clues, then I'm not going to engage with it. So I played through this entire game not engaging with this entire mechanic because it demands perfection. I think that's stupid. I think that it's far better for the game to say, oh, you collected 29 out of 30. You know what? That's pretty good. We're going to give you a reward. So if you you might not be able to get this move on World 3, but because you've got a few clues on every level, you can have it on World 5. I don't, I don't, that to me, that's a far superior structure because it allows me to explore and get collectibles as much as I want instead of saying, you must get every single collectible. And if you don't, we're going to punish you by giving you nothing. Right, okay. I mean, I can kind of say that, but to me, backtracking in this game is so inoffensive that it just seems like a non-issue to me, right? Um, for the most part, and I got about probably like 80% of the moves um, throughout the game. There was maybe two of those levels where I had to go back and get a bottle that I'd miss. But, you know, I mean, I guess that comes down to the player's ability to find things i guess um which i definitely enjoy a lot more than you do and we've established that in past episodes but the thing is it's not it's not even that i hate collectibles it's just like in in the other games we've played banjo kazooie and um psychonauts i really enjoyed the collectible particularly psychonauts i think i really enjoyed the collectibles because none of it was compulsory so i could do the scavenger hunts for a while and then stop when I chose. I could get figments and briefcases and do all those things as much as I wanted and then stop. It just, and I wasn't punished, it, you know, I still got something. In this game, if you don't get every single thing, you get punished. So I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm not going to do it and I'm not going to see this part of the game. So I, I don't like this style because it, 
it, I've got no interest in engaging with it. Why does this apply to just collectibles in your mind? Well, because collectibles is like they're an optional thing. That That's how I view them. Collectibles are optional, which is different from the main game, which is progressing through it, I guess. So the right. jigsaws in Banjo-Kazooie aren't collectibles. I, I guess Banjo-Kazooie is kind of weird because everything kind of drives towards the jigsaw pieces. So yeah. everything that you collect will eventually go in that direction, even the notes. Yeah. But uh, in Psychonauts, for example, there were lots of things that were completely unnecessary, but you could do them if you wanted to. Okay. Um, I really, I, I don't have this problem at all that you have. That's fine. I can see your point here. Um, mm. But to me, it felt like like a challenge. And if if the game was more lenient in this regard, I don't feel it would have been as satisfying to get each move. Like when I got the moves, I felt like I'd you know done a good job of looking for them because some of them were pretty hard to find, and I spent a while. Um, and it felt really satisfying to me to get all of them and to be rewarded with something that was a lot more tangible than you know other games give you as rewards. These this game gives you some really quality things if you find every bottle for example one of the later abilities that you get um, is that if you fall into water it doesn't actually cost you a life it just puts you back on the platform and that's a that's very strong because you know you die falling into water a fair amount of the time in this game yeah that's a hefty upgrade yeah it's a hefty upgrade right um and there's new moves that give you extra reach on enemies um stuff that you know makes collecting stuff easier that sucks it into you that kind of thing um whereas i find a lot of games like even psychonauts the rewards you get for collecting everything really aren't always that useful and you don't get them as often right there's like you get something every single level um in this game if you bother to collect everything whereas in psychonauts you could like get a new power up from getting all the physics figments maybe every like hour or a couple of hours even it really I, it didn't scratch the same itch that this does for me I, I i love the bottles in this game i thought they did a good job of hiding them about the level and i spent you know probably most of my enjoyment from this game was finding them oh, i mean i'm glad i'm glad you got enjoyment out of them i'm just saying that systemically it was set up in such a way that I lost all interest in it almost immediately. So I had a major problem. But I mean, what you're saying makes sense. If you're if you're enjoying the process of hunting for them again 100%, the reward is is nice. I just have a major problem with how it's set up. All right. In that case, let's shift some focus to something else I thought that this game did. Actually, a hundred billion times better than the other platformers we've played up until this point on this show. Um, and that was the enemy designs in Sly Cooper Thievius Raccoonus. Um, generally, when we've played platformers before, we've had this same criticism over and over again, where they're just kind of like fodder that don't mean anything. The enemies just in Banjo-Kazooie and Psychonauts, they just run around, pose zero threat, and are just more of an annoyance to the player than an actual challenge. In Sly Cooper, they approach the enemies much like they do in something like Crash Bandicoot, where each enemy is almost something of a platforming challenge to complement the rest of the level. 
They are specifically placed within the level, they're not randomly spawned, um, and they require you to either jump over something or to avoid an attack in order to get your hit in. And I found this so much more engaging than what we've seen previously. I don't know what you're really engaging with here. Like, they're, I'm not, they're inoffensive, I'll give you that, Like, and I don't mind them. But it's literally position yourself in the right spot and swing your sword and kill them in one hit, or jump over that one attack and then kill them in one hit. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I don't find that engaging. It's not particularly interesting. And in the end, all the enemies are exactly the same because of it. But in a way, I prefer something like this to Banjo-Kazooie because at least when you kill them, they stay dead and they die quickly. And they die quickly, yeah, and they're just annoying in those games. Like, even in Psychonauts, the enemies just wandered around and didn't really provide any engagement, right? Yeah, it's it's definitely better. I mean, I would much rather have simplistic and clean, you know, combat encounters like this where they can kill you in one hit, but you can kill them in one hit, and it's just about timing one dodge correctly than the annoying enemies in Banjo and Psychonauts, as you said. If you're not going to put in the effort to put, like, a good combat system in, and honestly, compared to specific titles that shall not be named, most games uh, have very suspicious combat systems. I'd much rather they basically have something simple. It's a platformer first and foremost, right? I'd rather they have something like this that where they feel like, you know, just... I don't know, they feel like additional platforming challenges rather than some shoehorned combat system, right? I, would, I wouldn't even go that far. Like, they're just, you, you just kind of run in their direction and they die. But it, it adds a little bit of variety to the, um, to the gameplay if they weren't there. So it's definitely better for them to be there than not. But I, I, I see them as a really minor upside. Sure, right, okay. Um... Well, with that out of the way, ah, one of the first things that Patrick <laughs> mentioned to me, and we're not a, we're not supposed to talk to each other about the game before <laughs> we play it at all, but he just couldn't help himself, right? Because you uh, you had some very strong opinions about the uh, the actual jumping in this uh, very jump heavy game, didn't you? Yeah, it's uh, I, I was like, what the hell is this double jump? Because it is one <laughs> of the worst double jumps I've experienced ever. I mean, I know I'm using that statement a lot today, but it's just like you basically get zero height on your on your double jump. And even the length you get is barely anything at all. So very, very disappointed. Did your did your feelings change over the course of the game or do you still agree with me? So it's weird. Like, I agree with you that it feels like shit. <laughs> like the double jump in this game feels very bad, but because the game's designed with it in mind, it's never really a drawback or an inconvenience from a gameplay standpoint. Like, effectively, it has the same impact as every other double jump because the lengths are determined by, you know, what they've initially chosen at the beginning of design to be the length of the double jump. But it just, it doesn't feel as good, right? Yeah, double jumps should be empowering, right? They should feel good. And it, it doesn't feel good. I, I see what you're saying, though. Like, you can obviously still reach everything, but it doesn't just doesn't quite have that oomph to it. The feedback's just, yeah, not very good. And I mean, I guess this reduces the chance that a player gets to break the game using the double jump, but I don't know, the feedback, just pretty questionable overall. But, you know, after maybe the first hour or so of playing the game, I never really noticed it again. 
James, we need to we need to get to the meat of this. How how did you feel about the essential platforming? Because I have opinions, but I'll let you uh, I'll let you speak first. This is when I say essential platforming, I'm talking about things like are uh, you swinging on hooks? Uh, you know, you doing the precise jumps where you land on specific pointed things. How do you feel about the general platforming? So. In terms of engagement, I would say that the platforming in this game is probably some of the least challenging in any platformer I've ever played. Um, But you do enough of it and it mixes itself up somewhat to the point where I didn't find it boring. But let's take a step back, right? Um, So Mm -hmm. in this game, one of the most important, the most important two buttons on the controller are the jump button and the circle button, which you will be told over voice to use many, many times throughout the game by the characters, because the circle button is extremely contextual and basically probably accounts for maybe 70 to 80% of the challenges in the game. For example, if there is a pipe or a ladder that you can climb, you'll jump towards it and then press circle, which causes Sly to kind of like snap onto it and climb up. This is extremely forgiving and easy because you can be jumping just like in the direction of the platforming thing press circle and then you'll snap onto it from anywhere right so there's basically never really that many places where you can fail these platforming segments right and it's like every single platforming challenge in the game is predicated upon there's a thing press circle to use it um and it just, because of that, there, it felt like there was like a ceiling on the level of challenge that the game presented to you. Once you got used to how forgiving it was, you could be mashing X circle, X circle as much as you want while holding forward and Sly would auto-platform through basically everything. I hated it. Uh, maybe hate is the wrong word. I strongly disliked it. Um, when it comes to platformers, my preferred style of platformers is precision platformers. I want to control my character, land in the right spot, and then continue. And I think Prince of Persia is a really good example of this because Prince of Persia uses a lot of the same sort of like modular context-sensitive buttons to move around the level. But as you said, the super forgiving area in which you can mash the button just makes the platforming feel clunky and automated i don't know if clunky is the right word honestly the controls always did what i wanted them to and to me that's like the opposite of clunky so so a big example is the um is the precision points basically there's these points where you jump towards them and you press circle somewhere above them and Sly will snap to that precision point. Yeah, they're like a little point. Like, I guess an example would be the top of a little pole or like a little sp- or a spike. Something very narrow at the top that you could you wouldn't be able to stand on unless you were, you know, a super agile thief like you are in this game, right? So, so instead of the what what I would have far preferred is that there's a small platform there and I have to land on it. Because then instead of the game playing itself for me, I have to, you know, judge the jump length and land on the platform. And then I have to judge the jump length and land on the next platform. That's precision platforming. That would have felt good to do. 
I was just pressing alternating between X and O as I was jumping along. Yeah, it felt yeah. clunky because I didn't have control. That that was the thing that was frustrating. The um the other big I guess platforming thing that really ticked me off was what should have been probably the most fun mechanic in the game, and it's the hooks that you swing off. But the area on which you grab the hook is really bizarre. So when your character is right on top of the hook, like their face is in the hook and you press circle, Sly has no problem kind of grabbing the hook with his cane and then kind of swinging down underneath it. But if you're far too low, low enough that he could easily jump up and grab, you know, grab the hook with his cane, you just fall to your death. And that really irritated me because the whole idea is that it should feel like you're swinging smoothly from, you know, from hook to hook. But when you're in a completely reasonable, you know, distance and position to latch on, he just refuses to. Yeah, I I never had that issue. Um, I don't think I ever had an issue where the context button uh, failed for me. Honestly, it was almost too good. Um, it took a lot of the it took a lot of the challenge out of it for me. Uh, maybe you're just better at these than me. In fact, that's almost definitely true. I am true. the best. But, um, <laughs> but I found those hooks very frustrating to smoothly navigate through. I don't mind it, right? Like, this game is very all ages. It's got a very... I mean, it's targeted to quite a younger audience, right? Um, and I think that this system kind of sidesteps the inherent clunkiness with a lot of 3D platformers because, you know... Uh, strong opinion here. I think 2D platformers are just better um, in terms of precision platforming. Correct. Um, and I don't think that precision platforming is the strength of 3D platformers. Um, I think 3D platformers are better at delivering kind of, I guess, like a theme park style game where you just kind of go from shiny thing to shiny thing. Um, I basic i can't think of a good 3d precision platformer outside of the mario series basically that you know that isn't focused prince of persia prince, I, i'm not really sure why you keep bringing up prince of persia because it also kind of like had that snap-on feel to it no nowhere near as bad as this game but i don't think i ever failed a platforming challenge in that game well either. well I, I bring it up because i think that it does use the snap-on system but it does it in a way that's far more successful and I think that it gives you greater agency over your... I, I don't know. I don't know quite what it is. I think it's partly the fact that the level design is obviously perfectly constructed for the lengths of your jumps and everything. But uh, yeah. it just feels much like you've got much more control when you're wall running and going, you know, and swinging on poles and climbing up ledges and everything. It feels more, a lot more tactile to me than it does in Sly Cooper. I don't know. It felt pretty good, honestly, from just, you know, feeling point of view. One of the last levels in this game is, um, you know, one of those rising lava style levels where mm -hmm. you have to do a lot of quick platforming. And I found that one to be really fun, even though it wasn't too difficult, just because, um, you know, you were doing a lot of stuff in a short period of time. And even though that lot of stuff was essentially just pressing X then circle over and over. Um, I found it to be quite fun regardless. I um, I actually agree with you here, James. I think that that level and the levels when you're being chased by the fox are the most yeah. enjoyable when you feel you're in a rush because then because you can't really see what's coming up next, so it's very reactionary, but you always have enough time to react to it. It's kind of like... 
the problem I had with Sonic, it's it's resolved. Like you're going <laughs> you're going quickly, but there's always enough time to react. So those were the best of the platforming levels, I think. So the ones where you were escaping and you would die if you didn't do things quickly enough. Yeah, no, I, I kind of agree with that. Um do you want to take a quick music break, actually? We've been going for about 40 minutes. Um, Sounds and good. I think uh, the music's actually pretty good in this game. We actually were discussing who would pick which song this week, hmm. and we both uh, really wanted to pick the same one, which was, of course, um, the theme from the Swamp level. And, um, I, Patrick, I just I, I felt bad for you, so I gave it to you. Why did you pick this song? So um, the name of the track is The Swamp's Dark Center, and it's very unlike anything else on the entire soundtrack. It's these deep and slow violins and cellos, barely barely playing notes. It's, it's a very slow piece, and it's intersected with all this ambient swamp noise. And uh, it sounds very modern. It kind of reminds me of some of the, uh, the tracks from Hollow Knight, another game I love to pieces. It just sets this gloomy, dark atmosphere so well. It's eerie and there's whistling wind throughout it. And, it, you know, it felt a lot, I guess, darker than I was expecting mm-hmm. from this bright, colourful game. I, I really enjoyed it too. So yeah. we'll give you a listen to The Swamp's Dark Centre. just listening to the cold dark swamp so we're going to talk about the story of sly cooper for a little bit here but uh here's what happened james and i just were talking about the story and we ran into an unfortunate problem basically sly cooper follows a story structure that's kind of like a children's cartoon and i have a problem with stories like this i kind of (laughs) don't really engage too well with them It's a problem with games we've done in the past, like Ape Escape, and even something like Sonic the Hedgehog. They have this very simple premise. You've got this cast of childlike characters who are facing off against the great evil. And basically, I wasn't really engaging with the things that James was saying. I mean, that's happened before, right? You just really don't like these kinds of stories, or and like you can't see any value in them at all, right? Like, you would never play a game like this because of the like the aesthetic right it's less it's less the aesthetic and it's more the the storytelling i just find it so basically it's not aimed at me like i i don't watch anime that's slice of life about groups of kids going on adventures i hate the wheel of time a much beloved classic because it's basically a coming of age fantasy story and i loathe it 
I don't that like... story's just bad in general, though, right? Not to distract <laughs> well, from the, this episode, but uh, hot take, Wheel of Time's not great. Yeah, but there's people who love it, and it's just it just doesn't appeal to me. So this is an official apology to you, James. This has been many episodes coming, guys. This is a proud <laughs> I, moment I just, for me and, and, yeah, and the, other listeners. The thing is, <laughs> with, with Sly Cooper, it's just yet another one of those stories that doesn't appeal to me. So I think it's better for me to just say here, now i don't hate the story it's a fine setup for the premise but really a lot of the smaller things in it don't appeal to me so james you have the spotlight say what you will i'll interject in pieces if i think it's relevant but largely i was unimpressed with the story i don't think that the story is like a work of art or anything and i agree with you that it's mostly set up to the game but i think it does a fairly good job of being cohesive in its you know thievery theming as i've I've mentioned before you know you've got the main cast of characters who is the master thief the brains bentley behind the operations and you know the van driver and the brawn murray and you know this is just like a classic tale of these three friends being basically the you know equivalent of robin hood where they go and they steal from the rich and give to themselves themselves, i guess in this case yeah (laughs) (laughs) they're not a they're not particularly virtuous characters i guess but they aren't really doing any harm really with what they're doing um most of the stuff that i liked was um sly and bentley talking to each other a lot i in general think that a lot of the voice acting in this game is quite enjoyable it's extremely hammy it's so cheesy but i i I really got a soft spot for cheesy voice acting and um, bentley in particular has this horrible nasally voice that just suits the character and i think is very funny and like a love to hate it kind of way um and sly i really like that during the dialogues he basically whispers every line because you know he's a thief and he's on an intercom to his friends while in the middle of the the villain's palace or whatever um and i thought that was you know pretty good so yeah with the um with the voice acting um i found bentley incredibly annoying unlike james <laughs> who loved him for some reason it was like think, it was like a good a kind of annoying <laughs> Whereas um, Sly, Sly, I wasn't very high on. I I get that he's trying to be a master thief and he's being all witty and pantry. But after you hear Garrett, who's brilliant at that role, it just nothing compares. A 14-year-old, which is what he sounds like, shouldn't be saying things in the way he does. He shouldn't have that level of arrogant confidence because he doesn't have the life experience to back it up. Or he hasn't How does he to... not have the life experience? He's, he's had 14. to fight these... Is he 14? What's his age, I don't know. He sounds like he's 14, and maybe that's (laughs) a big part of the error. Hey, maybe raccoons don't have their what's-it-drop until they're, like, 30, Patrick. Have you ever (laughs) thought about that? (laughs) Let let me just say that if it was perhaps if the voice actor for Garrett was doing Sly, I would be a lot more impressed. Maybe, Maybe it's simply a voice acting thing, but it didn't work for me. I did think that the bad guys were all all had brilliant voice acting they were very menacing and um all all unique and had a different way of speaking um the panda guy was a bit whatever but it was pretty good apart from that um i think the frog boss in particular had some really entertaining dialogue i think it was Mm. the way the voice actor emphasized each of his lines differently it just came across really well um and in general i don't think any of the bad guys in this game are particularly well written almost but especially the last one which i thought just needed way more foreshadowing for what they were going for um but 
in general, each of the areas starts off with this kind of like 2D cutscene of Sly explaining the backstory of each villain. And they did a good job of making them seem kind of, you know, making you kind of sympathetic towards their poor upbringing before they, they became absolute unforgivable criminals. But, you know, I, I found it quite entertaining. And I actually think that these 2D cutscenes hold up very well visually, uh, even today on the PS2. I think uh, the villains are okay, but once again, I just found them kind of a little flat ultimately. Uh, An example of a cartoon villain done correctly are the ones in Kung Fu Panda. Shen in particular in Kung Fu Panda 2 is a masterpiece. But you just said the Kung Fu Panda was the one you liked the least in this game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I didn't like the uh, Panda boss too much. But um, (laughs) yeah, Shen is a villain and um, I think Power Lee or something, the tiger from the first one, both far more interesting villains. I, I like the villains to have a bit more... I don't know, character and backstory, a bit more tragedy to them. And I know there was a little bit of this, but the way the the switch flipped to absolute evil was a bit silly. But, you know, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. That meant to be a bit silly. I think they could have used more engagement with the main cast, right? Like, sometimes you heard them over the intercom, like, telling them, you know, you're going to regret it if you keep stealing from me. But I wish they'd been a bit more active in the story. But other than that, I think um, it's not great, but... Better than some games I've seen, for sure. I wouldn't tell anybody to play this game because of the story. No way <laughs> in hell. I would hope not. Um, you said you found Bentley to be really annoying, Patrick. I've got a, a big question for you. Did you find Bentley or the mini games in this game to be more annoying? Uh, so the, the mini games were a mixed bag. There were some that were better than others. I thought a couple of the mini games were uh, actually very well timed in terms of difficulty like you would get right to the edge of the timer and if you were efficient enough with your movements it was fine so i quite liked the one in the piranha lake and i liked the chicken killing ones but uh there were other mini games which really robbed me the wrong way there were a lot of mini games in this game right way more than i was expecting like towards Mm. the end of the game it felt like the game was running out of budget and we're putting more (laughs) mini games in to compensate i don't know if you got that feeling but like there were like none at the start of the game and then the very last level is basically entirely mini games it would not surprise me that's kind of how it feels and then you start getting the repeated mini games i i wanted to have a draw special attention james you know the first racing course yes when i got into it and i came last like dead last after the first time i tried i'm like Oh no, it's F-Zero GX <laughs> all over again. again. It took me quite a while to beat that racing minigame yeah. too. Like, it's it, way it's harder really than hard. I was expecting, but it has a very logical strategy to it, if that makes sense, right? Like you have to, what you have to do is you're in a race and there are boost pickups throughout the track and you have to get the pickups and it's not enough to just use the boosts and get every pickup you have to use the boosts at the correct time like Mm -hmm. to take corners quickly or to shove enemies out of the way and honestly it was a lot harder than i was it was probably the hardest part of the game was that first race honestly um but i found it really satisfying and the second race because i kind of like knew what i was doing had a lot more fun with it than the first one which i was like 
am I actually going to be able to beat this game? <laughs> the, the second race I finished on my first try, I found it enormously easier. I think the other yeah. cars got stuck on the patches of ice and that slows them down. Well, the, the cars in the race, second just... race were driven by monkeys and so they uh, were constantly crashing into each other and that's doing why. all sorts of stupid shit. Um, the other mini game that I loathe, I, I think this is like probably the worst experience in the game. You have a couple of iterations of this where you're in this little jet bike thing that shoots bullets a short distance in front of you. Oh, I liked that and one. And you have to destroy these spawning towers yeah. that spawn enemies at you. Yeah, what didn't you like about that? Oh, because it was just um, it was just an endurance thing. You just get closer and closer, shooting in circles until you're in an arc to kill the enemies until eventually you destroyed the tower. Sure. And it was basically the same mission twice. Yeah. Like, structurally, it was identical both times with... You know, it changing from the monster that throws fireballs to the monster that throws other people in barrels. And I'm like, this is just the, exactly the same thing, <laughs> just just with different skinned enemies. Yeah, no, so, that's fair enough. Yeah, I found that one pretty bad. I On the, on the whole, like, my overall impression of the minigames is that they're a good addition. I think that it breaks up the gameplay in an enjoyable way, so you're not just doing the platforming. Um, some are more enjoyable than others. They're all extremely simple. But um, on the whole, I'm glad they're there, even if I don't think they're a magnificent addition. That surprises me, actually, because in general, I thought you hated minigames um, and was expecting you to go on a 10-minute tirade about how these are terrible. Well, I think that it annoys me when there's a core gameplay mechanic that I really enjoy, and then it keeps taking me away from that core gameplay mechanic. Okay. But, I mean, all these minigames were completable in, like, less than two minutes yeah no absolutely so and i didn't adore the core gameplay that much as you've probably guessed <laughs> so what that meant is that the variety was more welcome if if i was enjoying myself more and this was like you know 10 minute mini games my opinion would probably be different yeah i tend to agree with you i think um not only the mini games but the level structure in general is quite compact um, I don't mm -hmm. think any is too long, and I think that's a big benefit to the game, like in a lot of games where you have short but dense levels that give a lot of engagement in a short period of time, similar to you know what we saw with Archimedean Dynasty and um, Armored Core as well. Um, I find it's a bit lot more engaging. You can pick up and play the game very quickly, um, you know, ha jump in, have some fun, and then leave without getting burnt out too badly. And I, I liked the mini games too. I, th I I particularly liked the racing mini games, which it sounds like you didn't. But you know, we we both know I like racing games more than you do. I I was genuinely that first racing game when I I was like, what the hell is going on? Why is this so hard? <laughs> it was so it was so shocking. I was really worried that I was it was going to take me hours. Yeah, and I guess the other one that I kind of was a bit iffy on was there's this style of mini game where you're like in a mounted gun and one of your your friends is trying to navigate a level and you've got to like shoot mm. enemies out of their way for them to get forward i i generally like this style of minigame because i've seen it before elsewhere but elsewhere i've seen it, it's been done better um a, a good example of this is in crash twin sanity where you're playing as crash and you have to help end cortex get to the end of a long series of platforming challenge i found in that game it did a much better of engaging 
the player, whereas here it was really just, you know, you shoot an enemy when it appears. There wasn't too much, you know, shooting levers in the right order in order to solve a puzzle while you're under the clock. You know, it was very, it was too stressful. It was still stressful, though, because if you weren't able to kill the enemy in time, yeah, you just reset the whole section. The um the one of these in the, um, in the panda level in particular was quite tricky. The final sequence where you need to snipe all the people from the rooftops before they throw ranged projectiles i was getting quite mad before i finally finished it okay so i guess one of the last thing on my notes is i guess this kind of brushes into like graphics and aesthetics but i've got a really weirdly specific thing that i love about this game um like more weirdly specific than usual right and that is um i love the visual design and the mechanical design of the main character's weapon it's a sickle right it's called a cane but yeah basically i mean it's a blunt weapon right it's not a not a sharp thing it's like a long stick with what's essentially a hook on the end and I love this thing to bits, right? I think this thing is a 10 out of 10 visual design. Uh, and it's not going to jump out at you a lot. But I think that this game is a children's game themed around being a sneaky thief, right? Um, and something that I love about the Kane's design, which is like a long stick with a hook on the end, is that it fulfills so many roles within the game world at once that it's just, it's perfect in my opinion, right? It's a blunt weapon um, to keep the violence level low when you're hitting enemies. The hook on it plays really well into the thieving aesthetic of the game. You know, you use it to do a lot of platforming. You use it like, to, you can use your hook to attack bottles to pick them up because of course you can. Can. it's got a hook on the end why wouldn't you be able to pick stuff on the ground uh, in later games which isn't relevant here they use the hook to pick keys off the back of guards you know pants and stuff like that and in general it just it leaves so much design space open for making levels in this game where you can just do so much with this weapon that's a hook whereas if this was just like a club or a sword or something you couldn't use it anywhere near as well um, as the game designers did in this game. And I know you probably won't give a shit, Patrick, um, about this kind of thing, but to me, I just... I spent the whole game in awe of this excellent design decision. I, I agree that it's a good weapon choice for him, but I think you might be overstating its importance because, <laughs> like you said, it's a cartoony sort of game, right? So if he had a sword and he swung it at an enemy and they, you know, died in exactly the same way they do, it wouldn't make any difference. I mean, already when you swing at an enemy, they kind of topple over like like a bowling pin. It's realism really <laughs> yeah. isn't the key here. Um, I do like stuff like when he's climbing up poles, he pops the cane in his mouth. I think that's a cool visual touch. But I mean, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I think it's an appropriate tool. I don't think it's some move of genius by the developers, though. <laughs> I think it's incredible. <laughs> I can see yeah, that. it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. I also, the other thing I really liked is that Sly's a raccoon. Oh, um, really? <laughs> all the characters <laughs> in this your... game. I really, I really like that Sly raccoons are raccoon. By the way, he's um, a raccoon. Well, I mean, visually it works really well because he's like striped and it's got this like, you know, this inmate motif to it, which, you know, raccoons are anyway. And then 
One thing I really liked is he's wearing this bandana over his face that at first it's kind of hard to tell whether he's actually wearing the bandana or it's just part of the markings on his person. I, I thought it meshed really well together. I, I, I liked the sneaky raccoon. Raccoons, you know, in popular culture have this like sneaky undertone to them, right? Yes, it, it is appropriate that he's a raccoon or they'd have to name the game something different. <laughs> <laughs> they would have to. The book would well, also I, have to be named differently as well. It couldn't be the Thievus Raccoonus anymore. Yeah, Sly Cooper and the Thievus dude. Thievus Rattata. There you go. The Thievus Rattata. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about aesthetics in general? Do you think that this game holds up? So I'm not in love with this graphical style, but it's certainly good. It's certainly this cell shaded shaded thing. I feel we've seen it in a few different games now. I think Beautiful Joe actually did this look better than um than Thievis Raccoonus. Uh, and I know that they're you know games on you know they're from different generations. Like uh oh was GameCube the same as PS2? It was, wasn't it? Uh, about the same, yeah. Yeah, I, I think Beautiful Joe does it much better, but Oh of course, that game looks incredible still. But, but it's perfectly fine. I, I like I said in the Beautiful Joe uh review, this whole comic book look is one that I feel has now been overdone. Like there was a time when this was a really fresh and interesting way to you know, create a graphical style, and it's one I don't hate, but it no longer. I'm no longer like, wow, cartoon cell shaded graphics. It doesn't blow me away. It's just um, another style nowadays. So I thought it was fine, but unspectacular. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think visually it's unexciting, but it's not like it doesn't look like a mess like a lot of old PS2 no. games do now, right? Like, especially if you play the remaster with the the heightened resolution. And um, I think it must be something to do with the PS2 hardware. It's got that mm -hmm. really dull colors and, um, you know, smear over everything. But it looks fine. Like, if, if this game came out this year, I would think it's probably, you know, it's low budget, but I believe it, right? I would not believe that. <laughs> You wouldn't believe it? No. What, what stuck out to you as being, you know, not holding up today? It's just it's just blurry and low resolution. Maybe if you play the the complete collection, sure, but it's just a little too, you know, it's it's just that sort of error of design. Like I was kind of referring to the, the remaster's graphics here because I, I assume um, the PS2 version definitely looks noticeably aged, I agree. Um, the remaster, they barely change anything, honestly, other than tidying up and sharpening up a lot of the models. And I think it, you know, it looks pretty serviceable. Okay, I mean, fair enough. I've only seen some random footage on YouTube, so I can't really comment on what it's like to play that. But uh, yeah, the PS2 version, definitely a little, <laughs> a little suspicious in terms of resolution. Um, I wanted to yeah, yeah. Uh, touch back on, I think the reason... I, it's funny. I think that the level design actually has a lot of cool set pieces, like uh, when you're going yeah. over these neon signs. That's the one that jumped to my head as well. I, I really like that level. Yeah. But the thing is, and it's very frustrating, you can't... It's so zoomed in on your character that I feel you can't properly appreciate the set piece. 
you know, when you're playing, and I mean, I love to admit a positive of Banjo-Kazooie, but when you're playing Banjo-Kazooie, you get a real good view of the crazy architecture that you're traveling through. And when you get zoomed down to tiny size, you get a really good view and you get an idea of the scale of what you're dealing with when you're inside those objects. With Sly, it was always so zoomed in that I would have a rough idea of what was going on, but I could never get in mind the greater picture. And I feel that hurt the overall art direction because I never really got the zoomed out magnificent view of this level that I was traversing around. I only got the immediate impact. Okay, I didn't find that as, I guess, important as you did maybe, because generally, because there's hub worlds in this game, right, that act as level selects essentially. You're, you know, you're in this town and the, the level's just supposed to be some subsection of that area. So I kind of, like that feeling of knowing the greater surroundings seemed less important to me because I knew the context of which the level was taking place in, kind of. Mm -hmm. Like, when you're in the city and one of the levels is basically a casino, you know, you know you know you're in a city that's a casino, right? And I actually like that level a lot. Um, but I, like, in Banjo-Kazooie in particular, you're going to these vastly different worlds in every single level, so I think that you know, that big wide-angled view that you're talking about is much more important uh, under those circumstances. Yeah, that's a fair point. I, I just felt there were some levels, like, e even in the very first area with all of the junked ships and planes and everything that are falling apart, you can see the junked plane that you're sitting on, but you can't really as easily see the landscape of junked uh, aircraft and ships. And uh, that was a bit of a downer for me. But, you know, you make a good point. I mean, I always do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so we've been going on for uh, a while now, so it's time for our second music break. Uh, this time, a song of James's selection. Ooh, goody. I mean, I guess both songs are my choosing because uh. you stole mine. Um, well, we're going to do one called Back Alley Heist this time. It's quite a slow track with some jazzy notes to it. I really like the soundtrack in general for how kind of slow and creeping it is almost. Um, and in general, I think it does a really good job. So let's listen to Back Alley Heist and then we can have a, a nice discussion about it in general.
That was Back Alley Heist, and as I said before, in general, I quite like this soundtrack. I think it does a pretty good job of being kind of low-key and sneaky, almost. Um, Sly is a very sneaky thieving game, and, you know, it wouldn't make a lot of sense for it to have this big bombastic soundtrack that's in your face all the time. And I think it does a lot of good job having a surprising amount of atmosphere, especially in the various swamp missions that you do, and even later on in the, you know, the alpine peaks of the latter Chinese level. I think that I was actually quite surprised about how good this game's atmosphere was at times. So it took me a while to figure out how it was able to link uh, those things together with the soundtrack. And the answer is in an instrument called the xylophone. Uh, if you actually listen, it's got a lot of these. Um, you can, I don't know if it's all computer generated or if they've actually got someone playing on a xylophone. But when you think about a xylophone, it's a um, it's a percussion instrument that requires a very light touch. So you're just touching the um, the keys of a xylophone very lightly, and it's creating light sort of noises. Oh, I like and that. And it's the perfect instrument for a thief. It's the perfect instrument for a thief because a thief is walking along on their tiptoes very carefully in exactly the same way that a xylophone is struck lightly. So I thought that was key to create the atmosphere. I did actually notice that use of that instrument a lot throughout the soundtrack. And now that you say that, it really, really jumps out at me at how obvious that thematic connection is. Um, I mm. think they use these like gusts of winds, like howling in the background a lot to create a really moody setting a lot of the time. Um, I... In terms of melody, they were okay, but what was really good were like the harmony and the 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 atmospheric stuff. I I love that swamp theme um, that we played before. I think it's incredible. Mm -hmm. um, and a couple of it's the other good. levels, yeah, it's really good. And a couple of the other levels in that swamp section also has a lot of good music too. So, uh, in general, I think that it does a good job. There are a couple of tracks which I was pretty medium about. One of the one of the the ones you hear a lot is the one in your level select screen, and I didn't think it was super great, but on the whole, I, I quite liked it. A few of the combat tracks are kind of whatever as well. Uh, the strongest tracks are definitely the ambient ones and the more ones where you're sneaking along. I did encounter a constant issue where... So this game has different music depending on the alert state of enemies and alarms. So, and there's no way to get like a stealth kill on enemies. Like most stealth games, if you get up behind someone, you can knock them out or strangle them out or whatever and instantly kill them and remain in stealth. But in Sly, if you get close enough to an enemy, even if you're right behind them, they'll react to you. And whenever you do that, you get behind them and you attack them, the battle music kicks in for like half a second. Yeah, no, I noticed yeah. that too. It was really, really off-putting yeah. actually sometimes. Yeah, it, it's distracting and it ruins the atmosphere. And I mean, it's once again another signpost that this isn't really a true stealth game because it's meant to be going in between the stealthy section and then these adrenaline-pumping combat sections instead of you being able to pure stealth this game. It's just an impossibility. 
We did criticize Archimedean Dynasty a lot for having this like pumping soundtrack the entire time and never really switching between combat and more like, you know, just drifting around music. And I think um, it would be hypocritical of us not to say that Sly Raccoon does a fairly competent job of changing up the pace of the music whenever, you know, there's a bit more action on screen. Like I said, I think it's more um, a structural issue with the way the game is set. Having that music for the boss fights is a really good thing um having that music kind of cut in for half a second as you you know hit an enemy in the back that immediately dies before it returns is more problematic it makes a lot more sense though when they actually spot you though right yeah although i tended to die very quickly after being <laughs> spot most of the <laughs> that, time that you can't true, yeah. live very long when they're shooting a gun at you so it's <laughs> So yeah, it, you don't really have these extensive combat encounters very often. There's there's one or two, uh, like when when uh, enemies are throwing projectiles at you from a long range where it makes sense. But there are a lot of instances where it doesn't quite fit. I guess mostly it comes into play when you touch an alarm system or get seen by a spotlight. Generally what mm. happens when this happens is that spotlights turn off for half a second, which allow you to reposition yourself and then they go into high alert mode. Um, so basically you get two chances, right? Like if you get seen by yep. the spotlight, uh, it gives you a warning, the music, the, this alarm goes off, the music ramps up, and if you get a hit again, you lose instantly, which I actually really liked this uh, level of forgivingness. Um, I agree. Yeah, I thought it was actually pretty well done. And in these in these specific situations, I do like that the music track changes dynamically. Yes. Yeah, it, dynamic music is good. It's just that there are some awkward fits here. Yeah, like, I, it, I, I honestly, it feels like a bug. Even in something like um, Metal Gear Solid 3 or, or other Metal Gear Solid games, when you get discovered, there is a long period where the enemies are alerted. So when you get discovered and then that heightened music plays. I, I'm not going to try and mimic it with my mouth because that would be a disaster. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. The soundtrack yeah, changes. Yeah. But because you're in that mode for another minute, it's fine. It's just the way you drop in and out in a stuttering fashion is a little awkward at times. In terms of sound, I mostly thought it was okay. The two sound effects I liked the most was the sound of you sneaking around these narrow ledges because when you do it, the, the music like softens a lot and you hear this like really sneaky sound effect as you're creeping bop, about bop, 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 bop. yeah yeah like that I, I really like that and my favorite sound in the game is of course the sound um, of smashing those collectible bottles because it's incredibly cathartic um, and in particular i think the sound effect of getting the last one is somehow much better than all the others despite being exactly the same um, I, I, I love collecting stuff. We all know that. And I thought the, the, like the chinking sound of smashing them open was very good. Yeah. I thought, I thought the sound was fine. Um, I, I'm sorry, James, I don't have too much prepared for this. I, I, I wasn't like crazy impressed with the sound. It was, it was okay. I thought it fulfilled its function, but, um, nothing really stood out probably because I wasn't smashing nearly as many bottles as you were. No worries. Well, if you don't have much to say, we're slowly running out of time here. So let's quickly go into the last point of discussion, which is of course, boss fights. How did you feel about these, Patrick? So I actually wanted to briefly cover these one by one because there's five boss fights in the game and I think they vary quite a bit in quality. Okay. I think the first one, uh, which is against the frog is a good introduction boss fight in fact it's pretty much perfect it's got um 
a couple of interesting mechanics. It's not too punishing. It's got um, a nice, you know, three to four stage ramp up. Wonderful. You don't want anything too tough for the first boss battle. The second boss battle, I, I don't know if you have any comments about that or disagree. No, no, no. I think if listeners have played Crash Bandicoot 1 through 3, they'll be very familiar with this kind of boss design where they essentially have three stages of increasing difficulty where the boss mm. will, like, the first time the boss will do a move and then, you know, you'll have to dodge in a, like, a, a pattern of attacks for, like... I don't know like 30 seconds and then you can go in and hit them which will take off one third of their health bar and then you know the subsequent sections will build upon what was established originally right and i think in general this is good boss design um the only real issue i had with the first boss is that in particular i think that the first boss doesn't really indicate or telegraph what it's going to do you really can only learn by failing which involves getting hit and then going back to the very start of the fight which i'm not a super big fan of but honestly it's so quick and painless it wasn't a huge issue for me but other than that fairly enjoyable yeah that was my experience as well i died a few times every new stage i'm like ah so the platforms are now sinking i guess i know about that now (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. but um but like design wise it was fine and the moment you knew the gimmick it it was okay i the second boss actually gave me a lot of troubles i don't know yeah me too (laughs) basically you're getting chased by a dog with a machine gun as you do and um you have to run around hitting these mirrors that are scattered around the arena to, you know, light up a crystal that destroys guns. I don't understand it. The point is, Me he's, neither. Very, I... he's very aggressive with that machine gun. He's and a if very good not, shot too. <laughs> absolutely. And he's fast. Like, so he chases you around. And if you're not, basically you need to bait out a shot and immediately roll out of the way with good timing or you're going to get shot and have to restart the whole thing. Yeah, you have to hide behind the mirrors and the crystals in order to avoid the shots. Um, Yeah, this is probably the boss fight that was the hardest for me Mm -hmm. by a lot. Um, It's really difficult um, and honestly probably not that satisfying. I don't know if you had fun with it. I found it more annoying than anything, to be honest. It took me so many tries. I I just felt like the difficulty of this fight was out of whack with the rest of the game. You know, and the way you beat it is you basically get the rhythm down pat because there's there's a window and there's a there's a rhythm to the way you bait him out into the right position and then you I use the roll move to dodge his attacks and it it worked pretty well, but the precision required with it was much higher than pretty much anything in the game so yeah it was it was a little odd so um that rhythm you got a down pat for the second boss did it uh stick with you for the third one third boss um i quite liked i thought it was a really cool inclusion yeah it's actually just a rhythm game right like yeah it's guitar it's guitar hero exactly yeah and the symbols that come up on the screen are even (laughs) the symbols which you know are on the playstation controller yeah um i mean i've got an xbox controller but i i can figure out that must have been very difficult for you to figure out (laughs) how they map together you know how x is on the bottom on a playstation controller but on the left of the you know the did you have to look it up did you have to have like a, a key 
open no, up no, on no. the second one. I, I, don't, I don't know if you're making fun of me or not, but uh, <laughs> the symbols come at you in the position of the controller. So it's, I was all right, James. <laughs> and they're all timed to the music too. Um, I, I liked this as well. I thought it was a It's basically a mini game boss, but you know, everyone loves mini game. Uh, everybody loves rhythm games, right? <laughs> the second stage of this boss, I failed several times. It was so annoying. So basically the second, the way the boss works is they're sending attacks at you and um, the attacks are the symbols on your PlayStation controller. And right before they hit you, you need to press the corresponding key to dodge. But the second stage is super annoying because it gets really slow at the end. Yeah, it changes the rhythm. Yeah, it like changes the tempo the rhythm. slows down to a crawl. But you've you've like you've spent like a few minutes like adjusting to this beat that never changes, and then it throws you a curveball, and it's very. I kept pressing it way too early. Yeah, and the other problem is you're right next to her when she does it. So not only yeah. <laughs> is it much slower, your reaction time is much lower. I actually it's... thought it was fair that they slowed it down when there was a shorter travel distance. I thought that made a lot of sense design-wise. Yeah, it just it threw me off. I also, <laughs> um, the very first section, I got thrown off because she's only sending you the top three keys at you and not the bottom one. And then the yeah. very final thing, you have to jump. I'm like, Where's come on. X? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that, no, that, that was, was fun. That was Honestly, fun, yeah. my favorite boss in the game, probably. Agreed. <laughs> yeah. And then you have the fourth boss, which was a massive disappointment. I'm so confused. Like, it was just an enemy with a lot of health. I, I beat it the first try. Yeah, me too. You just you just kind of run at him, and then he does a bunch of attacks. Like he does a few sweeps and slams in front of him. Um, I didn't hate it. I just it should have been harder, probably. Uh. Yeah. His attacks are all quite easy to dodge, and you just kind of mash the attack button, and then it's over. I was once again um, reminded of the boss fight in Psychonauts, where you're Gogolore in Lungfishopolis, where yeah. the boss is saying their attacks, and he's like, hard to avoid area attack, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> he announces all the moves he does, yeah. It's good signposting for the player, right? Yeah, I like um it's just it's just always funny and every time a boss announces their attacks like that, that's all I can think about. But yeah, the problem was he was way too easy. His attacks were super easy to dodge if you just strafed around him in circles and what should have been like a fun combat fight ended up being a big nothing. So yeah, I agree. The last boss fight is also a bit different to the other ones, um, in that mm. it's kinda like a twin stick shooter fight. Um and it was okay i didn't this is probably my least favorite one honestly yeah it was it was fine like it's it, just too it, easy it's just easy to dodge his projectiles like you, you you weren't didn't even have to strafe in a particular direction you just strafe in moved the, anywhere any, and, anywhere yeah, yeah. you'll dodge his attacks uh, yeah. I did like how there were two stages to him at least it's always good to have a multi-stage boss fight at the end but, uh, yeah, uh, and, was... and then it ended on this little platforming bit that I found real tedious. I'm not sure if you had any troubles, but it took me a while to do that very last section of the game, which uh, the music was actually pretty good for, by I the did, way. I did second try, actually. I think I kind of got... Really? Yeah, I think I got lucky just with my timings of dodging the traps and everything. Like, I just managed to get through just by jumping around like a madman and i just got through in time but i can see how oh, it would have okay. been frustrating there was this segment that had a bunch of overlapping lasers and i don't know what it was i just could not like i kept standing in them and getting myself burnt by the did you use the, the security did you cameras? use the stealth thing there 
it was it was an ability that you get for like a section and it's easy to forget you have it but if you hold down circle you turn invisible yeah i forgot about yeah, that that's, that's probably it, yeah so <laughs> yeah, when okay. i was jumping through i was when, just jumping through them yeah so you just you, you just <laughs> press up for like a quarter of a second to get you through a difficult spot and keep going patrick is better than me <laughs> i mean it's the game's fault that it doesn't really give you many opportunities to use it right like it could have yeah, after you get through that levels gimmick it's it never comes up again yeah Alrighty, so i guess we've gone through the boss mechanics which you know it sounds like it's a bit of a hit and miss for both of us correct yeah there, there um, were there were some a couple of good bosses i i didn't hate the dog boss it was just really hard and then a couple of yeah. mediocre ones well, I mean, I guess that's everything, right? So did you want to um, fill us in on your hot takes about Slay, Cooper, and the Thievius <laughs> Raccoonus Patrick? As always, James, I'm delighted to share my opinions on these retro games. Um, <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> the thing about this game is that I didn't hate it. Like, there's games that we've played in the past where I've played through it like Crystalis, where I've been, like, in a state of anger the entire way through. And I definitely didn't feel this, that way about this game. It was pretty easy to play through. I could always get through a big chunk of game time every time I sat down and played it. But if I'm answering the question like, not was this game okay, but do I think it's worth your time to play through today? The answer is no. I think this game is mediocre. Um, the platforming is whatever. I'm not really into it. I didn't have a great time with it. I think that the collectibles are poorly implemented. I think the story is uninteresting. On the other hand, I think that it's a fine game, and I think that structurally it does a lot of interesting things, particularly in regards to the short and simple and contained levels. I think that's good. It's just the bulk of the platforming in these levels I don't find very compelling. Is Sly Cooper a terrible game? No, it's, it's a fine game. I, I think that most people could play it and say, yeah, that was all right. Is it worth your time to play today when there's so many other great, you know, games, movies, activities that could consume your time? The answer is no. So, um, unfortunately, I can't recommend Sly Cooper, uh, but it's not it's not a terrible game. And if you're like James and you like really like 3D platformers, there may be something of value for you in here. I think Sly Cooper does a lot of good things. Um, namely, I love the collectibles in this game, like every other game with them, but particularly in this one. Um, I enjoy the cartoony aesthetics, but like you, one of the biggest problems of this game for me is how easy that platforming is. It's okay. Uh, the game, the game's levels basically got a good mark for me because they changed themselves up so much. If if they didn't have as much variety in them and it was trying to live purely off of its platforming challenges, I probably would have given this game a pass. Honestly, it's just not hard enough for me personally. But that said, I you know basically agree with you in saying that it's a perfectly competent game right um if you want a fun uh saturday morning cartoon style adventure that's over in a few hours isn't particularly challenging but you know is enjoyable then this is probably going to do it for you i have nothing majorly bad to say about this game you know there's nothing that stands out to me as being bad there's just nothing that stands out to me as being incredible either so this game holds up, like, let me get this straight. This game definitely holds up today 
um, against other 3D platformers, which let's be honest, there isn't a lot of. You know, we've had ukulele and you know some other questionable titles in the genre, and I hadn't I hadn't time is better than this too. Um, well, ukulele is definitely not better than this game. This <laughs> game is so much better than ukulele. Um, so. In the context of 3D platformers, this is definitely worth playing because there aren't a whole lot of those anymore. And so, for good you know, reason. if <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you know, if you've played at all the other 3D platformers and you want another one, this is definitely a fun game to kill some time with. I just wouldn't tell somebody to go out of their way to play it, and that's really how I feel about it. Yeah, it's ultimately, for me, it's just not super memorable. Like, I, I think that's the thing that stands out for me. Like, something something like Katamari Damacy, I know it's not a platformer, but it's doing something so unique and interesting that if you've never played it before, it's worth your time. With this, it just feels like a mediocre soup of a game. Like, if it's you still drink it because it's soup and you don't hate it, but it just doesn't have any flavor to it. <laughs> How far can I stretch this metaphor? Who knows? I don't know, Patrick. I thought it was bad to begin with. <laughs> yeah, Sly Cooper, it's not a bad game. It's probably don't go out of your way to play it unless you love platformers. And with that said, that brings us to the end of the show and everybody's favorite part, which is Patrick shilling us to everyone that he can. And that that's this is my least favorite part of the show, but we must do it and the show must go on. We are the Retrospectors <laughs> Podcast. My name is Patrick Arthur and my co-host today has been as always james turlings you can find all of our content at our website rspodcast.net and we're also available on every podcasting catcher under the sun including spotify itunes etc etc most of all we would love if you would drop by our discord server we will have a link on our website and in the show notes and you know stapled to every single episode we have many discussions and endless arguments about video games and unfortunately anime at times. But luckily we have an anime <laughs> containment channel for that uh, for that degenerate. For all of garbage. those degenerates, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean I, I wanna point out that uh, our Discord is only really a text forum. There's no you know, you don't have to get on and start talking to people. Really, the most value you're gonna get out of it is it's a big archive of people shitting on Patrick's opinions. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't love that? I, yeah, and I don't know why. <laughs> because I have the obviously superior opinion on all these games, but I put up with it. Uh, also, I mean, if you have any game recommendations, we're always willing to hear them. Um, you know, we've got a queue of games that we're going to play, but if you can make a good argument for why we should play a particular game, um, we'll at the very least hear you out, and we may even play it at a future date. But um, Yeah, like but, um, Crystalis, which Patrick <laughs> was so happy that we chose to Crystalis do. was a user suggestion. Um, against my wishes, that user is not banned from our Discord. But, you know, we'll... we'll uh, excuse me? We'll, we value everybody's suggestions. Anyway, we'll... Especially, and I especially value the games that I like and that you hate. Uh, so the Crystalis suggestion was very much appreciated. Anyway, luckily, we're now moving on from James's suggestion this week. Looking forward to the next fortnight. We're actually doing a game that I have wanted to play well let, let's let's start from the beginning the game that we're doing this next fortnight is system shock one so for a very very long time i wanted to do system shock two and in fact one of the reasons i started this show was because 
I wanted to play games like System Shock 2 because, you know, I've played Deus Ex and everyone always bangs on about System Shock 2, but I could never find the incentive to push myself just to play it. But we thought about it and we're like, well, if we're going to play a System Shock game, we should start at the beginning. So next fortnight, we're doing System Shock 1. And I'm very excited about it, James. Do you have any idea what you're in for? Well, I found System Shock 2 to be very clunky when we played it, so I'm uh, I'm expecting some Armored Core tier pain when it comes to the controls. Uh, you found System Shock 2 clunky when we played it? When I played it, Patrick. Oh, very distinct. You've played System Shock 2? Have you finished it? Uh, I've played a couple hours of it and then stopped playing it, so I'm not- I don't have, um... In general, I know this game's quite highly regarded, but I do not have high expectations in terms of my personal enjoyment. But we'll find out, like we do every time. You no, know, I have very high expectations. I really hope it meets them, um, particularly after having to do this terrible game this week. But, uh, we are the Retrospectors Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to us this week. We'll see you again in a fortnight. See ya. See ya.